My name is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. I'm a global connector, networking concierge, and coach. For two decades, I believed that my ADHD was a disability. Only at the age of 41 would I come to realize that my ADHD was an incredible asset, and when I leaned into that, I achieved greater success than ever before. ADHD is the engine behind my own success as a networker and coach. Over the past few years, I've spoken with thousands of entrepreneurs and found that many of them have some kind of neurodiverse diagnosis, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, OCD, and more. Like me, for many of them, their neurodiversity is indeed the very source of their success. On this show, we will change the narrative on neurodiversity. I've heard enough about the challenges and how hard it can be. I want to hear about how awesome we are. It's time to start talking about how our neurodiversity can be an asset for ourselves, our communities, and our businesses. It's time to start talking about neurodiversity superpowers. Welcome back to the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy, and with us today is Paul Daniels of Peripheral Thinkers. From healthcare to hospitality, manufacturing to mining, high tech to high fashion, Paul's work with clients like General Electric, United Healthcare, WebMD, and AT&T spans four decades, two dozen industries, and 27 countries. In addition to public speaking, Paul is a board advisor for three startups and a contributing author of the international best-selling book, Peak Performance, Mindset Tools for Entrepreneurs. He is also the founder of Peripheral Thinkers, a think tank specializing in the use of dyslexia's super skills by neurotypical business leaders. So I am very excited to have you on the show. Welcome, Paul. Michael, thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, It's an honor to be here, and I hope this is a great time for your audience. Excellent. Yes, I'm so glad to have you here. One thing I love about doing this show and one of the great things about podcasting is it attracts the right people. Like I, I know a bit about neurodiversity for myself and from people I've met, but I'm not an expert. I haven't studied and read a lot of books. I have ADHD. Research means talking to people. It doesn't mean reading books. Yeah. So, right. but, but you know, Anna, who was a, a, on the podcast recently, introduced me to you, and now you are a think tank specializing in dyslexia super skills. <laughs> that sounds like a neurodiversity superpower. It kind of is. And and the folks that are in the think tank, uh, 99% of them are um, are neurotypical. Interesting. So it's it's been kind of, excuse me, been kind of my passion to bring the super skills that are found innately within dyslexics into the mainstream so that neurotypical people have an opportunity to see the world that we see to understand the opportunities that we see where they just see obstacles to find the paths that we naturally stumble upon and, and uh, explore where others just see a problem. So it's a, it's a great time. I feel like the smartest person in the world uh, when I'm in the room with them (laughs) because I'm learning from them and I'm just giving them a couple of cues and they come up with great ideas. uh, And occasionally I get the credit for it. I, I love that. And, you know, one of my concepts for this show is to share, celebrate people who are successful, who have some form of neurodiversity, whatever it might be, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, whatever. And and to invite people who uh, their their success would make someone say, you know, what is it that makes you successful? I want to have what you have. And you say, <laughs> what I have is dyslexia. And they say, I want to have dyslexia. Yeah. OK, yeah, yeah, I guess I wish I had that. 
so I, I love the concept that you're taking the 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 dyslexia superpower. So talk talk a bit more about like what are the superpowers that come out of being dyslexic? Well, there are several. So um you've you've taken the um the punchline that happens during my keynote speeches as we build up in about 10 minutes in, I say, okay, so here's what you need to do to, to overcome challenges, to um challenge convention, find multiple paths to growth and success, and do it in any marketplace. You must be or become dyslexic. (laughs) (laughs) They often go, what? (laughs) They lean in a little bit. Okay. So here's why, you know, about 10% of the population is born with dyslexia. Depends on who you're looking at the research and Mm -hmm. between 20 and 30% of entrepreneurs and nearly 40% of self-made millionaires are dyslexic. NASA actively recruits people with dyslexia and some have called dyslexia the MIT disease, because there's so many dyslexics go to MIT. It it shouldn't come as much surprise because you look at throughout history, um, some of the most visionary leaders that really took their profession to new heights and in some cases created brand new industries were dyslexic. Einstein, Henry Ford, Anne Bancroft, JFK, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Richard Branson, Muhammad Ali, the list just, it goes on and on. Um, the beauty of it is that we've cracked the code. So we we know what the skills are, and I'm happy to share one with you, you know, during our time together. Absolutely. Uh, and they are learnable. So there's organizations right now, and I, I love them, and I support them financially, and I support them um, vocally. Uh, an organization out of the UK called Made by Dyslexia. Richard Branson's on their board and Kate Griggs does an outstanding job there. She's worked with Deloitte and, uh, uh, excuse me, Ernst and Young and other organizations to do studies. And they're focusing on helping to identify dyslexia as early as possible. So they work with Microsoft and Microsoft has an entire program for teachers, free software here, free, Mm -hmm. find them, help them because Education is kind of a roadblock for people with dyslexia, myself included. However, in doing that, we uncover these incredible skills that you can point back and say, oh, that's how the Wright brothers came up with that. I understand Thomas Edison. I understand now Da Vinci. I understand Agatha Christie, how she was so detailed in her novels and all of the richness of her novels is because her brain sees things differently and connects uh, disparate pieces of information together. Okay, so that was a long answer to your very short question, but you got me going, so I'll stop. Oh, I like it. <laughs> um, so now when I think of dyslexia, I think of it's it's hard to read because like the letters transpose and mm-hmm. um, it's hard to spell, uh, but it sounds like it is more than just letters moving around on the page for you. There, there are. Um, it's a learning difference. So it's often, it is the, the brain's challenge with seeing words in groups of letters and in some cases creating the sound. Mm-hmm. So it can be auditory and verbal. Um, it can be a visual thing. For me, words move on the page. So I'm picking up a word from three sentences or three lines below and sticking it into a sentence. Mm. all of which makes writing difficult. But 
I just mentioned a couple of authors that are dyslexic and they're terrific. Um, you, you can get through that and you do learn. Um, mm -hmm. What happens though with dyslexia is that the brain creates different neuropathways. And so science has proven that dyslexics have a broader and more vivid peripheral vision. So we actually see more in the periphery and what we see in the periphery is clearer than most people, which allows us to see things, vi visually see things that other people just completely miss mm. until we point it out and they go, well, I never noticed that before. Yeah, it's the first thing caught my eye. It's one of the reasons that NASA has so many people because we see patterns where other people don't see patterns. Interesting. And so when I was a kid, right, um, we connect the dot books. You got those, right? Everyone yep. go from number one to two to three, four. I'd open it up and I'd say, okay, well, that's a, a duck uh, in a pond. And they go, what? You know, you need to draw the line. I said, no, it's a duck in a pond. Oh, well, what about this one? Oh, yeah, that's a group of stars. There's the moon. Um, there's the sun and there's a palm tree. Mm hmm. So my dad is an artist. And so he would create some that didn't have as many dots. And I'd say, oh, yeah, it's this. You know, that's a race car. Or it also could be a horse galloping uh, over the moon. Really? I mean, I don't know. It is. So um, that's one of the reasons that, that NASA has it. But, but the beauty is that neurodiversity brings new perspectives to organizations yeah. and groups. And it also allows... Um, people to learn how to see this world that we live in that has got more opportunities and obstacles and more options than you can imagine if you stop looking this way and you look a little bit this way. Interesting. Yeah, and that, that's one of the, the themes I've been seeing in the, the interviews is the idea of taking the adaptive strategies from neurodiversity and then applying them, you know, so with ADHD, for example, memory is one of the challenges, but mm -hmm. I know that. So I assume my memory will fail completely and create systems. And then anything I remember, bonus. But if I don't, everything gets written down, everything's on a calendar, everything. There's no, I'll remember that because right. I won't. Whereas a neurotypical person's like, oh, my memory is pretty good. I'll remember that. So my mm -hmm. effective memory is better than theirs because I built the systems. If they copy my systems, They've got a better effective memory than I do because they can use my ADC systems. Uh, yeah. And so it sounds so it sounds like when you're talking about dyslexia super skills, um, is that sort of what you're doing is using those adaptive strategies for neurotypicals? Some of those are adaptive and some of those are truly uh, you are you're truly born with it. So um, seeing patterns where others don't, mm -hmm. you can learn how to do that. But many dyslexics um, just naturally have that. Okay. Regardless of what age they are, obviously, I was doing the connect the dots during the age where I'm learning to read and stuff, but, uh, you know, I hadn't fully formed. Um, now, to be clear, I wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia until I was 40. So all through school, university, grad school, postgrad, all of that was a beating. And I was told I was stupid, slow, lazy, dumb, um, daydreamer. I was an oddball kind of on the outside come up with these crazy ideas that were cool, but where'd you get that? We can't follow it. Uh, it even followed into my professional career. Mm. So yes, I've got dyslexia and I've got ADHD as well, which is oh, okay. reason I just took that little, uh, that little path, <laughs> but you can be born with some of these, but they're also learnable. Mm 
So I, if you want, we can do an exercise, take about three minutes. Sure. Just let's do an it. example for those that are you know watching. And um, okay, so th this is going to teach you one skill, and it's the basis of one of the skills of and peripheral thinking is the mirror image of dyslexia super skills. So okay. I've taken dyslexia super skills, made them possible for neurotypical. All right. So imagine that you're in a mountain field. Mountain field. Okay? And it's covered with wildflowers and the sun is, is warm on your face. The air is crisp and cool. And as you look out onto that mountain field, there's your challenge, whatever your business challenge, life challenge, whatever it is, it's it's right in front of you. And it's like rising like a monolith out of the flowers. OK, so now, like any good person, what we're going to do is we're going to cover our eyes. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, right? OK, but we're going to do it anyway. So you take your hand, you cover your eyes, but not completely, just so you can't see what's in front of you. OK, excellent. Thank you for following along. Now, if you're listening to this while you're driving and you're not watching the podcast, don't do this. Good Stop advice. and come back and watch the video. Okay, so what you can't you can't see what's right in front of you, but what what can you see? Well, you can move your eyes up, down, to the left, to the right. Okay, so Michael, you're in a place that you've been in a long time, but for for a long time, but just move your eyes around a little bit and find something new, something that you haven't noticed before. Maybe a shadow on the wall or a mark on the ceiling, something. And those of you that are watching, do the same thing. Okay, yep. You got something great. Okay, yep. you can take your hand down. Okay, so what you notice may not have been fully clear, but you can at least acknowledge that it's there, right? That's peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. So now take your head and, and move and look at that thing that you saw that you hadn't noticed before. What was in your periphery is now clear because you're looking at it. Imagine we're in that mountain field looking at that obstacle and we move to the right, say 100 yards. What is this new vantage point about your obstacle. What does this new vantage point uncover about that obstacle? Well, you probably see a little bit more detail, maybe more three-dimensional, the height, the width. And you can do that same thing by moving all the way around that imaginary obstacle in a, in a circle, a 360-degree review. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. That's peripheral awareness. But it's still from your perspective. It's still from your set of filters. And if you have a team and you took them on that journey, it may be filtered through their set of experiences. So standing that 100 yards from the right, the original position, imagine instead of looking at your challenge, you look around. Now what can you see? Well, likely there are other objects and maybe different terrain and there are people but these people, they're not part of your company. They're not part of your industry, not even part of your network. And they're not looking at your challenge. They've got their own and they've got their own goals. They also have their own methods and processes and solutions. Their experiences may be exactly what you need to see your challenge from a different perspective using a new reference point. Interpreting skill is taking seemingly unrelated ideas and solutions from the periphery and combining them in unique ways. Mm. And there are certain steps, and if people want to know more about that, they can reach out, and I'm happy to share with them all kinds of... In fact, if 
if you want to learn how to um, store the content, mm-hmm. I have a thing called the Peripheral Resource Library. Contact me at the end of this, and I'm happy to send it to you for free. Right. And there's no, I won't spam you. I'm not going to try and you know reach out to you. It's yours to use. And it walks you through the five C's of the interpreting skill. The first four make up the, 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 the library. And the fifth one is how to use the library. So someone like you that has systems right in place to remember certain things, this will allow people to, to, to document the content they're learning, the conclusions they're getting, the categories, and how to search their library when they're facing a challenge or trying to create a, um, a goal. They have ready-made solutions standing at any moment. You take out what you need, when you need it, and you apply it. Wow. And people will say, wow, that's brilliant. Where'd you get it? I read a book about manufacturing in the 1950s, and it seemed like it was a pretty good approach. <laughs> I love it. Okay, let's do it. Yep. Yeah, I love that concept. The, the, the few things come to mind when you're, you're talking about that. Um, what is about the, the peripheral vision? Uh, so I do do live action role playing. So it's basically sword fighting. And yeah. and one of the things that I've I've learned is that uh, the best the best thing to do is have everything important in your peripheral vision. So you're seeing it all at once. Um, partly because you don't want your eyes to telegraph what you're doing, right? And also, as you can see everything. So if you're if you're looking at their hand, you're seeing their hand. You don't notice their foot move, which means they're about to strike, right? Also, when you look at their shoulder, because that's where you're about to go, well, they block the shoulder because you just just warn them. But if you can learn how to sort of unfocus, look over their shoulder, mm-hmm. so you can see their eyes but not be focusing on anything, then you can see both hands, both feet, the shift to their weight, everything. Um, and it, it sounds very much like what you're talking about with that. Don't Absolutely. look at the problem, but look around the problem and, and the challenge. You know, I, I'd never thought of it. In 1993, I won the United States Karate Championships. Oh, okay. They were being held here in the Dallas area. Um, and I was 29. I was fighting in the men's category, which is 18 to 30. <laughs> and all these 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds, man, they got a lot of energy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it may have been... You know, and this is before I was even diagnosed. It made I just could I could see where they were going mm-hmm. without looking at the body part that was moving. Yeah. Uh, so thank you. You just made another connection for me. Thank there you. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's actually that's a lot of my businesses. Um, and for the longest time, you know, again, I thought ADHD was a disability uh, yeah. until I finally started stopped fighting it and stopped started embracing it. And yeah. but for years, I've made connections. And I'll go from here to there. I, I wrote an article called "What's What's Common Here Is Genius There," or something like that. Because um, I'd go to to a planning meeting for an event, and then I'd go to another one, and the second one they're struggling. I don't know how we're going to do this. We're working on this for years. It always comes up. Oh, what if you just do it this way? Oh, that's brilliant. How'd you learn that? The meeting I was at an hour ago. They've uh-huh. been doing it that way for five years. What? Right. Oh, that's amazing. This solves the problem. Yeah, I'm not a genius. I mean, well, I think technically I am, but it's not because I'm super smart. It's because I'm just going from one place to the next to the next and carrying knowledge with me as I go. And and to your audience and to and to you, here's the credit to you. You're you're accepting, right? Because you have touched so many industries and they've been in these different environments, you recognize there are commonalities and mm-hmm. then there are also uniquenesses. But those uniquenesses don't belong just to that industry or just to that company. 
a great idea doesn't have just one application in one company, in one industry, in one city and country. Mm -hmm. You can break those down to elements that can be applied truly anywhere. You know, when, uh, when JFK in 1961 said, we're going to put a person on the moon by the end of the decade, right? Yeah. Conventional wisdom said, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? You get yeah. what? What? Yeah, well, what? The peripheral thinking and the dyslexic said, cool, let's get to it. And that's what NASA did. They cast this huge net and said, we'll take all comers. Don't care what you have, bring it in. Because they needed as much as they could get because they had to literally weave like technology and materials and approaches and process together to do something that had never been done before. So they had this, I don't care if it wasn't invented here, bring it on. Yep. We'll determine what elements of that are valuable to us. And that's what you've been doing. That yeah. connection, it's, it's, if there is a skill that, that my clients find most valuable and the people that I speak with most valuable is their ability to get outside of their own industry, their own paradigms and, and adopt others. Those that are super successful actively seek alternative ideas and solutions and in, in industries. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that the sky truly is the limit and beyond. Yeah. It's the Branson, Richard Branson. Of the yeah. But so. I think one of the, the assets I have is a lack of assets. Um, so, you know, I'm not attached to any particular idea. And so if I'm wandering from meeting to meeting and I just kind of pick up ideas, I don't have my own strategy, my own system. That's, that's how I, you know, people ask me, how'd you become a professional networker? So I'm not good at anything else. You know, there's nothing <laughs> else that I can, that I make money at. So I make money as a networker because I'm free to do that, but I'm, right. I'm not attached to any system. I'm not held down by that. And so when you know, you don't have anything, then you're much more open to, oh, I better get some knowledge here. I better get some ideas here. I better get some connections here. Right. So, so I, I, I think that makes me much more open to things, which is, again, I, I've always, I've long had the axiom of turning weaknesses into strengths. Yes, absolutely. You know, when we onboard people at our company and, and when I'm working with clients, I say, you've heard that strengths and weaknesses, well, there's something in the middle. So the strength is what you know you're good at. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we're going to leverage the garbage out of that and we're going to expand it. Then there are weaknesses and a weakness is something that you've perhaps tried to improve, but no matter how hard you've done, you've worked at it, it's never going to get better. I'm never, I'm never going to read beyond about an a 11th grade level as far as speed and, you know, the speed of comprehension, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And I've worked hard at it, but that's okay. Now there are areas for improvement. That's the area in the middle. It may seem like a weakness now, but if you, as you work on it and it's improving, you want to work on it because it brings something to you. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being binary, one or the other, it's really kind of a, a continuum. You try and move things that are weaknesses that you want to work on to the area for improvement. And you keep working on those until they become perhaps a strength or not, but they support your strength. The weakness, find systems and people and processes that that keep pull that off of your plate and keep your powder dry so you don't have to deal with a weakness. Somebody drops a 300-page yeah. legal document in here. I've read thousands of contracts, done thousands of contracts. Yes, I can get through it. 
it's going to take me some time and I will come up with some cool ideas. But if you need this tomorrow, I am not your guy. Yeah. I'm I'm not your guy. And in fact, if you want it, you know, in two or three days with, with some good content, again, I'm not your guy. Give me a week and I'll come up with some really cool ideas. Again, it's still not my strength. Yeah. And I think it's also a matter of putting, putting yourself and your team in places where they're, what they have are strengths, not weaknesses. You know, it, right. a thought that comes about, you know, there's some people who, no matter how much they eat, they, they never gain weight and, and they, they eat, they can eat and eat and eat and eat. And eat. Now, if they live in New York, that's pretty cool. They can go three dinner parties in a row. They can chow down. It's great. If they live in, you know, Central Africa during a famine, that's a pretty terrible trait. And, True. and, and it does not serve them well at all. Uh, it's all about where they are with that trait and where, you know, I I have a kind of, kind of compulsive need to meet people and have new experiences, part of ADHD. Um, I if I don't meet a lot of people over the course of a week, I, I'm kind of down. I'm kind of bummed out. Um, but I'm a professional networker. So yeah. that's a strength. If my job was doing spreadsheets in a cubicle and, um, mm -hmm. you know, processing numbers on a, I don't even know what non-extroverts non do. If <laughs> yeah. my job was that, I'd be yeah. miserable. It would be awful and I'd be terrible at it. But I, I put it where that trait, which is neither good nor bad, is a strength and not a weakness. Correct. Correct. Every trait. Exactly. And you've heard the phrase, you know, you play to your strength too far and they become a weakness. Yeah, that's, that's true too. But um, I'd rather, I'd rather err on that side than try and force people into positions that, that they're simply not suited for. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my clients the, and the people that I meet and the organizations that I've spoken with are across the gamut from very technical, introverted, analytical people to high-functioning creatives, uh, and they all get it. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's it's a great it's a blast to see the light bulb come on for all of them because they can apply you know these peripheral thinking lessons uh, regardless of what your what your job is. It doesn't mean that you have to go explore the you know Fiji. Mm -hmm. You can have a peripheral experience walking around the corner to Fred's Coffee Shop. Yep. So speaking of peripheral experience, before we started recording, I believe uh, we we're talking about your your uh, what I call the Karate Kid training. <laughs> um, so so t tell us a bit about uh, how you how you give give your clients peripheral experiences. Yeah. So uh, there's a there's a phrase I use frequently just to remind people of some of the uh, the the pitfalls of following conventional wisdom. And it kind of goes like this. So what does a baker in Bulgaria have in common with a foundry outside of Philadelphia? What does a movie theater in Malaysia have in common with a distribution center in Denver? Not a lot. What does a flu in China have to do with unemployment around the world? Well, conventional wisdom responded to all of those with mm, not much. Mm -hmm. peripheral thinking said oh hang on a second there may be more they have may have a lot more in common than you think in fact there might be some ideas that we can use here so we visit a beaker in bulgaria we go to a foundry outside of philadelphia we find a distribution center in denver and we visit and we visit these places especially when 
my clients in these, these groups have no um, experience with logistics or with culinary skills or with making steel, right? Or, or what it's like, what a movie theater is like in Malaysia instead of in Manhattan. <laughs> so we go to them and we experience them, not from the consumer's perspective, but from the owner's perspective, from the worker's perspective. So go to a bakery at 3 a.m. And I've got a, you know, a, a, a guy who runs a large construction company, like, why are we doing this? And then a, a lady that is um, in fintech and another person that has a software company. Why are we doing this? You'll know in two hours. <laughs> now, roll up your sleeves, wash your hands. Let's get to business. Let's get to work. Start asking questions, learning. And then you walk out all nasty and the sun's coming up and they, they say, okay, so, okay, so what did you learn? Well, I learned you how to do this and this. Okay, so now how do you apply that process or the elements of that process to your business? Mm-hmm. How will you, how can you apply that to the constraints right now with building materials in the construction industry? Okay, now how can she in fintech, how can she use the same elements that you just described with her business? I mean, you know her business. You've, we've been in conversations together. And then they start playing off of each other, helping each other see what they can't see and expanding what they did find that was completely new. So that's what a baker has in common with a, a builder and a, a fintech CEO and a SaaS founder, software as a service founder. Yeah. Right now, now the three of you that have been talking, I need you to go out and have more experiences so that when we do get back together and we talk, we're not just talking in the same mastermind advice that you can hear anywhere. You're bringing really rich experiences from the coffee shop around the corner called Fred's or from your trip to Fiji. Doesn't matter. Interesting. Yeah, I love that. And and I imagine with a lot of your clients, because they're so high level in their companies, they are 110 percent, you know, construction, construction, construction. Sure. Because they're they're intensively working their business. So they don't they they don't tend to stumble across these other experiences because they're so busy. Absolutely. And that's exactly what they should be doing. It, it, I don't discredit that at all. They, yeah. they build great organizations, but they probably should not be hanging point. out in bakeries. They, they got work to do. <laughs> right. Exactly. And they reach a certain level, a certain point where the same things aren't getting them the same results. Yeah. And that's when we really need to look at the at the periphery and see what other lessons can we learn out there that aren't necessarily related specifically to your industry, but can absolutely apply. Uh, I was working with a hospital in 2010 in the Midwest, and I was working with the patient engagement department there. Uh, they were kind of mid-pack sliding down to being kind of marginalized and the director of the um, of that department and her, her team were looking at increasing advertising um, spend doing more patient surveys post discharge surveys and the like very common to be to raise their um, their scores so to speak and become the hospital of choice mm-hmm. but it wasn't really working and that was a Friday we'd finished a week she called me on a Sunday. And the long story short is checking into the hotel in Hawaii with her family. She got a text and she says, why aren't we texting our patients when they're in our hospital? 
Jennifer, you get it. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. She comes back. And now you see that kind of electronic interaction between healthcare providers and patients all over the place. Mm-hmm. Not in 2010. Yeah. She started it because she took her family on a vacation to Hawaii and she got a text, an already proven solution in another industry. Yep. Low risk, direct application, home run. She runs a, she's a, the chief patient experience officer for a 20 hospital healthcare system now. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. And, and you know, a well-built mastermind will bring together diverse people to do that as well. Cause that's really, it, it's, it's about the idea of finding those ideas that are, you don't necessarily want 20 healthcare administrators sitting around a table masterminding because they're right. all going to have the same, same ideas. One of the most valuable things I did when I was building my business was I was driving Uber. I mean, it's valuable because it paid yeah. the bills so I could keep my house. Yep. But also I got to have 20 conversations a day with everything from a guy working at Dunkin' Donuts to yep. a guy whose Porsche broke down on the way to check out his yacht and he was following the tow truck back to his house. Uh, right. He owned a dozen radio stations. So I got all these different perspectives. And, and you know, an Uber driver is like a bartender. So they people tell you anything. And it was, such, it was an amazing experience to to hear all these different slices of life and what they're experiencing. And then watching the news. And I'm like, oh, they talk about, you know, labor shortage. I understand it because I've been talking to the workers. And, you know, I understand what it's like to be an executive. I understand what it's like to be a worker because I'm meeting all these people. So it's it's so Again, I was blessed with my business had taken off right away. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to have those experiences. Right. And for those organizations whose businesses did take off right away, or you're in that, um, you're in that mastermind and you're doing well. Mm -hmm. um, Don't stop. Yeah. You need to block out time to have peripheral experiences. And it can be sitting and contemplating your navel right at your desk with a do not disturb sign and just let your mind wander. What have you read lately? What are the principles? You don't just be a consumer, mm-hmm. be a, a voracious applier. Yeah. Learn it and apply it. And, and you've experienced this in masterminds. I have too, that at a certain point, um, the conversations become just repeat and that's the time to shake it up. You've got to bring in other people. You mm-hmm. need to move that mastermind in a new direction uh, obviously, I don't have any problem doing that because as soon as it, you know, I hear the same answer three times, it's like, all right, field trip, <laughs> time for another field trip. Yep. Right? Because we've, we need to, we need to enrich ourselves because it's right there and the field trip truly could be right to the parking lot. And I could point at a tire and say, give me 10 lessons and 10 elements that make that tire successful. Mm. Now, how do you break that down and apply it to your business? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, another, another great place that I found is podcasting. That's why I have four podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Four to be podcast. Uh, and actually the fifth one sort of a meditation because it's a solo, uh, fast paced, short form podcast sharing ideas. Um, and it's really doing that because, you know, I'm super extroverted and ADHD. So I'm not going to sit and contemplate my navel necessarily, but I will, uh, hit record and just talk about stuff with some music going. Um, yeah. And if you don't want to run podcast, listen to podcasts the same way. You get to hear, it's like it's like walking around a party listening to conversations that are happening among random people if you listen to the right shows. Exactly. So the peripheral experiences that you have as, as individuals, they can be firsthand or secondhand. Mm-hmm. 
you, you can have a peripheral experience reading a book. I find one on the, on the shelf, <laughs> reading a book or, or watching a movie truly. Yeah. Just have your interpreting mind on expand that awareness and ask, why is this working? Why isn't it working? Mm-hmm. Is this, why am I not kind of feeling that this is such a great movie or what am I not getting out of this book or what am I getting more than just, this is a great novel. Mm, yes. Are yep. there lessons that I can apply? And so you just ask yourself, how can I apply it to my business and any challenge I'm at or the goal I'm at? What other experiences, the second is what other experiences, other peripheral experiences have I had that I can take elements from that and combine it with this one? Yeah. To create something new. And then when and where else will I go to get more content, mm-hmm. to get more experiences? So blocking some time or or just revisiting, you know what? I did have an ice cream cone last Saturday from the guy that was driving around the neighborhood. Okay, so what can I learn from that? So it's kind of lifelong learning, but then it's application. Fascinating. Yeah, I love that. I'm, I, I'm reminded of, um, I was watching one of the, the newer Star Wars movies and thinking about the fact that the, that, you know, a lot of these sci-fi is some super weapon. It's the one right. big thing. And once you destroy the super weapon, then, you know, everything's better. Right. And, which has conditioned us to look for the one solution. <laughs> and, you know, when in, in fact, you look at World War II, cities were not destroyed with one super weapon. It was 10,000 bombers flying 500 sorties. It was one small thing done over and over and over again. But I suddenly realized that I'm like, oh, and, and I had that epiphany because I've been living my life looking for the Death Star. And I was yeah. always looking for that one big hit, the one, you know, I do the thing and I'd make a million dollars. And I never realized that I didn't need a Death Star. I needed to have those habits that I could do again and again and again. But I was watching, I think it was uh, episode seven, well, one of the new Star Wars movies, watching that that made me realize, oh, it's not about the Death Star. In, that's movie stuff. In real life, it's about the habits and the... So right. yeah, I can completely see what you're saying. I love, I love that concept of, you know, look for... The, the lessons you are looking for everywhere everywhere in the world and yeah. so don't get so fixated on what you're doing what your what your business is your mm-hmm. your zone that the answers may be anywhere right and in, in fact yeah, to add on that yes and uh, when you when the answer comes quickly that's the time for you to go okay wait was that just the easiest quickest answer because it's what everyone else is doing mm is that the best answer? Is that the best we can do? Okay. If that is, move on. But at least you, you took a moment to pause and allow your brain to start searching for other thoughts that you had, or you were smart enough to pull out your handwritten or your digital peripheral resource library and say, this is what we're trying to achieve. Um, what other things do I have that have that same kind of uh, result? And what, what contributed to that result? Oh, they did this and this. Oh, okay. So they increased our revenue by doing that and that. That's not what we were thinking. Can we apply that? And now I'm back into the, how can I apply it? What else can I put together with that? And where else can I get some more information? And eventually you take action. Not saying that you sit around forever. And and also one more thing. I'm sorry, but you and I are both pretty outgoing. A little bit. Right? So just for those that are watching, I am absolutely an introvert. I get all of my energy by being alone. Mm, okay. I'm passionate about this. And so 
you're getting all of that passion from me. And when we're done, I'll go in the corner and just melt <laughs> because it's all of my energy that you're getting for the entire day in this, you know, 20 minutes or whatever. So um, people that are, don't have to be extrovert to make good connections, mm -hmm. right? You don't have to be an extrovert to be creative or a, a problem solver or, you know, a creative leader. There, It takes all people with all different backgrounds and all disc kinds of assessments and formats and Gallup strengths and et cetera, et cetera. You're exactly what you should be. Now just go get more of what makes you even better. I love it. That's a, that's a great, great concept. And, and, you know, and I think a lot of people need to hear that. And that's, that's kind of the, what I built the show for is people to hear that message of, of you are what you need to be now be greater at it. You know, yeah. Yeah. Into what you are great at, not what someone else thinks you should be great at, but like your own greatness. Right. Don't, don't be me. I've got, I've got terrible fashion sense. You can see. So don't try to be like me. Um, I, I'm, I'm just doing me. You do mm -hmm. you. Uh, but know that when you face a challenge, whether you're, okay, so for those that are watching this because they are neurodiverse, you're exactly the way you're supposed to be. And yes, traditional life, education, whatever work environment, it can be hard. But you have things that no one else does. Mm. You are that small percentage. Uh, and and your organization, your community, your neighbor, whatever, they need you. And I've got proof. The World Economic Forum did a study, and it's called the Future of Jobs Report. They studied, and it took years, they studied every industry, every industry around the world, and every skill in each company that is in that industry. So all the skills for a company to be successful in that industry in the year 2025 and beyond. The nine top skills that are in the highest demand are cognitive skills, mm. which means they can be learned. And today's workforce has the fewest number of people with the skills to fill the demand. Eight of those nine skills are found innately within dyslexics. Wow. But if dyslexics only make up 10% of the population, we've got to get going. There's a lot to learn and people that don't have those super skills that need them. Because if you're dyslexic, if you're neurodiverse, you have skills that are absolutely needed and it's proven. Ernst and Young uh, did the study from the World Economic Forum. They're the ones that found eight of the nine match with dyslexia super skills. Wow. So it's all of that stuff is proven. Whether you're dyslexic or a different, you know, neurodiverse uh, dysgraphia, dyspraxia, whatever dis you've got, mm -hmm. it's it's a strength. Yeah, and and we need you. There's plenty of effort that's going on to help the young people that are just now learning that they're uh, they're neurodiverse. There's lots of energy going into that. There's virtually no energy going into the top-down approach teaching our leaders, hey, this is what a neurodiverse environment looks like. There's a group in, uh, in the UK called um, Dyslexia Box. Wow, they do some incredible stuff with helping companies embrace dyslexics and teaching other people in the organization how to see 
the way that dyslexics see, how to solve problems the way that dyslexics. So I'm working with them and I'm having a blast. So that was a little shameless plug, but I wanted to encourage people that are watching, whether you're dyslexic or not, whether you're neurodiverse, neurotypical, everybody's welcome and everybody's needed. And we know what the skills are that are needed to make this world better and stronger and faster and superhuman. Well, that is fantastic. <laughs> Before I use up any more of your introvert energy, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing everything you have. Uh, somebody wants to get in touch with you. What's the best way for them to do that? Sure. You can uh, uh, you can find me on my website, which is www.pauldanielsjr, pauldanielsjr.com. And you can, you can uh, hold a date if you want me to speak at an event. There's a way to contact me. There's a contact form there. Um, and you'll, you can see speaking and other things and peripheral thinkers are there and, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, and my personal mobile phone, no, no I'm not giving you my personal mobile phone. <laughs> and my personal <laughs> mobile phone is personal, but <laughs> Paul Daniels, Paul Daniels, com is your public facing website that yep. anyone listening can reach out and, uh, connect you through there. So thank you so much. This has been great. Oh. I've really enjoyed this conversation. My pleasure. Mike. Um, and I think your fashion sense is great because your jacket matches my background. So <laughs> perfect. You, you plan that ahead very well. Um, so thank you so much. My pleasure, Michael. Thank you very much. This has been the Neurodiversity Superpowers Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse. Sign up to get every episode at neurodiversitysuperpowers.me. Join our Facebook group on facebook.com slash groups slash neurodiversity superpowers. Thank you so much for joining us, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people ask me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course.